This podcast is brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. BankInfoSecurity.com is your source for the news and views shaping security and risk management within the finance space. U.S. financial institutions have no shortage of headaches. From fraud prevention and security to regulatory compliance and conformity, banks and credit unions are under increasing pressure and scrutiny to enhance operations and streamline processes, all while they continue to battle a sluggish and slow-to-recover economy. How will they balance it all? And could the market have yet to see more failures and acquisitions before things improve? Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. Today we hear from William Isaac, former chairman of the FDIC and author of Senseless Panic, How Washington Failed America, who now serves as the Senior Managing Director and Global Head of Financial Institutions for FTI Consulting, as well as chairman of Fifth Third Bank Corps. Today, Isaac shares his thoughts about the overall economic health of existing U.S. banks, the impact of the Durban Amendment and interchange cuts, and regulatory scrutiny facing European banks with operations in the U.S. Bill, how would you characterize the overall health of the U.S. economy and the U.S. financial structure? Those are separate but related questions, uh, Tracy. I, I think that the U.S. economy is really struggling, and um, we could well be on the verge of a, of a double-dip recession. Uh, with it. And I, I think it's primarily because our, we, we just have a, a dearth of political leadership in this country right now. Uh, there's, there's the, the fiscal crisis has, has really ruddled the markets uh, and forced the Fed to maintain, a, uh, announce that it's going to maintain a zero interest rate policy for the next two years. Uh, we don't have sound fiscal or monetary policy right now, and that is really hurting the economy. Uh, people just don't know what what to do, business people. To, uh, are we going to have more inflation? Are we going to have more taxes? Uh, are we going to have any growth? What's happening? And nobody's quite sure um, what's the value of the dollar going to be um, two years from now. Um, commodity prices are going through the roof. So these 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 levels of uncertainty uh, really cause serious problems in terms of businesses and individuals being willing to commit to the future and invest. We've lost confidence in the government is doing nothing to restore it. The, the financial system is actually in better shape in the sense that we went through a serious crisis in 2008 and 2009, as you know, and our banks, our major banks, have strengthened their balance sheets considerably. They have a lot more capital than they did uh, going into that crisis and coming, even coming out of that crisis, of course. Um, they also have a lot more liquidity. The banks are awash in liquidity right now. And they have very strong loan loss reserves. So I think the banking system is on a reasonably sound footing, but it cannot outperform the, 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 the general economy indefinitely. The, the, the economy can't be a lot stronger than the banks, and the banks can't be a lot stronger than the economy. They're going to be um, following a, uh, a parallel track. Uh, for the most part, I mean, there can be periods when that separates, but not not usually. They are they we're in this together, and and if we're going to have strong strong economy, we're going to need strong banks, and if we're going to have a strong banking system, we're going to need a strong economy. And my next question, Bill, was just to ask what your general thoughts were about the market and whether you felt that it had improved, declined, or stabilized over the last eighteen months. And it sounds like you're saying maybe a little bit of all three. You, your three words, I think, were improved and stabilized. What was the third one? Decline. 
<laughs> okay, we've done all three. <laughs> I, I would say that the, the markets right now are are quite volatile because of this uncertainty. They really don't know what government policy is going to be, not only in the U.S., but in Europe. Uh, what, what, what are governments going to do to, to address these major issues we have, which is essentially a fiscal crisis that's spread throughout the world and throughout the United States? Um, so I, I think that, that that's what's creating all this, this volatility. It, it makes people very unsure. Uh, and right now the markets seem to be betting that we are in recession or are headed into recession. And generally the markets forecast pretty accurately on that. Uh, the markets, I think, are down something like 16% in the last few weeks. Uh, that's getting pretty close to... Uh, that's a very strong signal that we we could be headed into recession or or be there already. Now, the economy, of course, has been slower to recover than anyone really anticipated, and we continue to see financial institutions struggle. Bill, how many more banks do you think the market can expect to see fail between now and the end of the year? I think we've pretty well run the course on bank failures. Uh, this time around, we've had about 400. Um, generally speaking, uh, and it's a very strong correlation, Banking problems trail the economy by about 18 months. So if you enter a recession, it takes about 18 months for the borrowers to realize they're in trouble, for the banks to realize the borrowers are in trouble, and for the regulators to realize the banks are in trouble. And, And therefore, the problem bank list starts going up significantly about 18 months after a recession has started. And it, in the reverse direction, it, the, those numbers start to go down about 18 months after the recession has ended. We, we are beyond 18 months from when the recession is officially designated as having ended. So bank failures and problem bank numbers should be going down now. And uh, that's that's the pattern over a long period of time. There's a very high correlation. So I'm not expecting to see a lot of bank failures between now and the end of 2012. Um, I would say that if we have gone back into recession, that 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 will that that respite will be short-lived. That that we will start seeing bank failures go up again if we if we are trailing back off into recession right now. Yeah, that's a great point. We'll just have to wait and see. And you've talked a little bit about globalization, and I wanted to ask about the impact that you see globalization having on today's financial institutions. It's had profound impact. Uh, we have banks from all over the world now that are competing with each other in, in each other's markets, and we've had significant consolidation in banking, uh, and those trends are likely to continue I don't see uh, I don't see banks pulling back and not trying to compete globally the bigger banks um, and I don't see uh, the, the trend toward consolidation uh, ending I, I'm really quite concerned about our community banks the the community banks uh, I think there are some 7,000 right now banks that are below a billion dollars in size. They, they're, they're, they're quite threatened because of this, mainly because of the Dodd-Frank Act. Um, the, the Regulatory Reform Act has just made life 
miserable for the smaller banks. The regulatory burdens of uh, you know hundreds of new regulations and that are going to be thousands and thousands of pages long. Uh, it's it's just overwhelming for a community bank to try to uh, you know to, to comply with all of that. For a bank, I, I happen to be chairman of Fifth Third Bank Corp, which is a pretty good sized bank, and. Dodd Frank is a pain in the tail uh, for a bank the size of Fifth Third, but it's not life-threatening uh, because you have the, you know millions of customer transactions to spread those costs over. A small bank can't do that, and uh, so for for a bank the size of Fifth Third or, or other large banks, Dodd Frank is a nuisance and an expensive nuisance, uh, but but not not necessarily life-threatening. One of the major flaws in Dodd Frank from the community bank perspective is that it eliminated trust preferred as a source of capital. So I really wonder where we think community banks are going to get their capital if they can't issue trust preferred uh, stock to institutional investors. Uh, that was not well thought out at all. And uh, I, I think that, that Collins Amendment ought to be repealed for the small banks. Yeah, and I wanted to ask about Dodd-Frank, and so I'm going to go ahead and jump to that question now. When we look at what's happening on the domestic front, and you've rightly noted the impact on community banks, um, let's talk a little bit about Dodd-Frank and the legislation's failure, in your view, to correct and prevent future economic crises. What are some of your general thoughts as they move beyond maybe the impact on community banks and just the economic stability of financial institutions in the U.S. generally? I believe Dodd-Frank is the worst piece of financial legislation in I, I, I would say in history, but I'm afraid I, I, I can't go back to you know a thousand years, <laughs> and, and I'm old but not that old, uh, so I I, um, I can't say in in history. I can say in modern history, it's the worst piece of financial legislation in modern history. It's certainly over the past century. It's hard for I can't come up with a law that's as bad as that one is. It didn't address the causes of the current crisis. Wouldn't have prevented it and it won't prevent the next crisis. In fact, it is making the next crisis more difficult to deal with because it is tied the Fed's hands and the FDIC's hands to in dealing with a crisis. It is it is uh, it is politicized the bank regulatory system. Uh it it, it has allowed it to remain fragmented. Um and uh with people, you know, different people looking at different parts of things. Um and this uh, stability, uh, uh, this financial stability oversight council uh, that they created was probably a good idea in theory uh, if it had been independent. But th what they did is they created this oversight council, and they and they have it being run by the secretary of the treasury and the Federal Reserve and the FDIC and the controller of the currency and the SEC and all the agencies that it's supposed to be second guessing. And and so those agencies are not going to second guess themselves. Um, and they're not going to think they're doing anything wrong because they wouldn't be doing it if they thought they were doing something wrong. So there's there's no check and balance uh, on on this very fragmented system we have. So I I can tell you that that Dodd if I were if if I were president, the first thing I would do, one of the first things I would do, is I would send up to the Hill legislation to basically start over again on financial reform and do it right, reform the regulatory structure. Uh, across the board, and uh, and and really address the issues that led to this crisis. Uh, for example, housing. We haven't we haven't addressed housing at all. Uh, 
mm-hmm. Fannie and Freddie are still doing the same stuff that got us here into this problem. So there's a lot. There are a lot of issues that we haven't um, looked at that Frank hasn't looked at them, and, and we get, we really need to start over on on financial reform. And I want to talk about one piece of the Dodd Frank legislation, and that of course is the one that relates to debit interchange and the highly contested Durbin amendment to Dodd Frank. It seems now that banks may have it a bit better than they had initially thought with the Fed's one cent incentive for fraud prevention. What's your overall take on Durbanville, and how do you see U.S. banking institutions reaping rewards from interchange fee incentives that are being offered by the Fed? Well, the, the, the Fed came out with, I can't remember, but I think they said that you could have a, uh, an interchange fee of $0.12 cents or something like that, and they finally came out with, a, I think it was a $0.23 cent number, and then they added on a little more for fraud, fraud prevention. So the final Fed rule was was a lot better than what they came out with, but uh, it is still going to have a significant impact on on bank earnings, uh, large and small bank earnings, at a time when we don't need that at all. And it'd be one thing if this if this savings were going to consumers, but it is clearly not. The the uh, the, the retailers, uh, who are the ones who promoted this this Durbin amendment, uh, are are keeping the money. Uh, they're they're taking it to their bottom lines. They are not passing it along to consumers, and they've said that uh, in their uh, in their securities filings that this is going to increase their earnings by X amount and all this sort of thing. So that that uh, the Durbin amendment is was pure and simple special interest politics. Um, it is the government has no business setting interchange fees. That should be a negotiation. Uh, in the private sector, competition should control the fees, not the government. If, uh, if the fees are too high, trust me, people will find a way around them. Uh, and and big retailers will say, well, we're not going to take your cards. We're just not going to do it. And uh, we're going to do our own cards or whatever. Walmart has a lot of power. Walmart can take care of itself. It doesn't need Senator Durbin to do its bidding. So I, I think the Durbin Amendment is, is really um, a, a, a terrible precedent. It's very harmful. It's, it weakens a banking industry at a time when we need it strong. And uh, the folks who supported the Durbin Amendment should be ashamed of themselves. Again, we've just heard from Bill Isaac, former head of the FDIC, who now works with FTI Consulting. Be sure to check back for part two of this interview when we continue our discussion with Isaac, delving more deeply into the impact of Durbin and how debit interchange cuts will affect domestic card issuers. We'll also talk about growing global fraud threats and how the international political climate will continue to affect the global financial crisis. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy King. This podcast has been brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.BankInfoSecurity.com.